Well, we are, we're barreling into a new series. We just finished our series on, on Luke, and we, we took a number of passages through the book of Luke and, and considered this question, who Jesus is, and allowed Luke to communicate with us. And today we're going to look at another book, and we're going to begin to look at another book over the next few weeks, the, the book of 1 John. And now you may, you may wonder why, why we're doing this, and I just want to give a, a brief explanation. You know, I, I think that, well, first, first of all, the, the books of the Bible were written in, in their whole form. And so we want to go through and not just dip in here or dip in there, but really go in and see what the author is saying from beginning to end, from the first chapter to the last, because there's an overarching meaning, there's an over, overarching purpose that, that each author is bringing to us. And so I want us to, over a number of weeks, really get a sense of the impact, in this case, of what the Apostle John is, is trying to, to tell us, to call us up to, and, and really to do in our life. And I'm confident that through this process, we're not going to just read the Bible and have a Bible study, but God is going to address specific issues in your life by the power of His Spirit in, in concert with His Word. You know, the, the reality is I don't know what's going on in many of your lives. I've got, you know, some ideas of, of some of the things that are going on, and, and I'm praying for many of you, but I don't know the specific issues that need to be addressed in your life. But you know who does? God does. And, and we believe that God is sovereign, and what that means is that he can, he can sovereignly, he can in his own authority and control address the issues of your life as we go through this book together. You know, it might feel like, well, how, how do we know that in, in two weeks or three weeks that, that as we progress through this, it's going to address something that is timely and meaningful and important for me? Well, the reason we believe that we can do that is because we have a sovereign, loving God. And so we're going to be looking through the book of 1 John, and I would encourage you, as I did with the book of Luke, to read the book of 1 John. It's in the New Testament. It's much shorter than Luke. It's five chapters. Yesterday, I read it in one sitting. You can do that over, you know, anywhere between 15 and 30 minutes, depending on how quickly you read. But I would encourage you to read this Bible, not because that's what we do, but because in reading the Bible, we are changed and transformed. It's the means through which, one of the primary means through which God changes our lives. If you need your life to be changed, I would challenge you I would encourage you to read this book until this book becomes something that's part of you. You know, we don't, when we eat, we don't just chew some food and then spit it out. We don't just taste that food and spit it out, but we digest it. And, and we have to do this continually. And as we, as we enter into this book, I would encourage you, don't just, don't just have a little sampling of it on Sunday when I bring it to you, but, but dive into it. Spend some time in this book. So I'm going to take a couple of minutes and just explain what's going on. Because this book was written thousands of years ago, a couple thousand years ago. And, and so there's, a, there's an honest question that we can ask of this book and really any book of the Bible and say, why does it matter to me? Why, why should we read this book? Why does this book, what does it have to do with my Monday morning? What does this book have to do with my Thursday afternoon? What does this book have to do with my budget, my marriage, my schooling? What does this have to do with me? Well, it's written by the Apostle John, so one of the reasons it matters to us is because 
John was with Jesus, and he knew Jesus. And if you want to know Jesus, which I hope that you do, or if you're curious about Jesus, it would be good to talk to or to hear from some of the people that interacted with Jesus. John was a disciple and an apostle of Jesus. And here in 1 John, he's writing to a number of congregations. Now, it's, it's, a, it's a letter that we don't have the specifics of what he's writing about, but we get hints in the letter itself and then really in the writings of, of those who followed John of, of what he was addressing. He, he, it's a pastoral letter. He's caring for his flock. So you can hear in the language of this letter, and because it's the word of God, you can hear it for yourself that, that he's caring for you as a sheep in his flock. He's caring for you as one whom God loves. He's addressing your issues in life. It's pastoral. It's what we would call polemical. In, in other words, it's, it's intended to address certain issues. And in this case, there were, there were some teachings that were cropping up in the church, cropping up in the surrounding uh, community that were, were kind of really going against what the gospel said. Some things that were saying that, you know what, maybe Jesus isn't the Son of God. In other words, maybe he isn't divine. Or on the other side, maybe he really didn't come in the flesh. And, and these are two attacks on the gospel that we see happen over and over and over again. And you and I, we don't live in the first century. We're not part of the second century. But, but we live in a society that does question the reality of Jesus Christ. You and I, the air that we breathe, the kids, there are a lot of kids here. If you go to school, public school, there are many places where the reality, the historicity of Jesus Christ and his impact for your life and my life is challenged. So this has value for us because we live in a very similar society because the reality is, is the fallen man is who he was, who he was, who he was. Our problems they, we, they may put on different shirts, but they're the same problems. And so he's writing to a society that, that is questioning some aspects of Jesus Christ. We live in a society that loves spirituality, but doesn't want to bring any objectivity to it. In other words, we, lo- we live in a society, you and I live in a, in a world where everyone is spiritual. Everyone wants to connect with, with something that is non-physical, but we don't want to be told that there is a right and wrong non-physical reality. Your non-physical reality, your spirituality is yours and mine is mine. And, and you can't tell me how I have to practice my spirituality. And I can't tell you how to, you have to practice your spirituality. But family, the reality is that the spiritual reality of, of, of existence is just as real as this stage that I'm stepping on. And just like I, if, if I call this stage an ocean and I try to dive, I'm not going to land well. It's going to hurt. And if we try to st- treat the spiritual realities of our existence like they're malleable, like we can just choose what to believe, we're going to bump up against some things. We live in a society that takes righteousness lightly, and, and John is going to address what it looks like to live a life of righteousness, a life that reflects the character of the God who created this world. And we live in a society that wants to redefine and, and redirect love, and he's going to found and ground love in the person and work of Jesus Christ. We don't get to define what love is. God defines what love is. 
So we're going to see that as we read this book. So I'm hoping that you're getting an inkling that this book matters to your life. Despite the fact that it was written in a different language a long time ago, it has direct implication and application for your life and mine. We need this letter. And so we're going to read today 1 John chapter 1, verses 1 through 4. And I would encourage you to stand with me if you're online. I would still encourage you to stand with me as we read the Word of God together. Okay, this is John. This is not First John. So let's uh, take a moment, and you can listen, and I will read First John chapter one, verses one through five, one through four. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon and have touched with our hands, concerning the word of life. The life was made manifest, and we have seen it and testified to it and proclaimed to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. That which we have seen and heard, we proclaim also to you so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. Verse 4, and and we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the the Apostle John whom you used to give us this testimony about the word of life. And God, I pray that, that we would, by your spirit, receive his testimony, what he had seen, what he had heard, what he had touched concerning the word of life, that we would see that this message, this good news about Jesus Christ, that he came to earth, lived a real, physical, perfect life, that he died really on the cross and rose again, defeating Satan, sin, and death, that this reality would have an impact on how we live, that we might have greater fellowship with you that we might be partners with you in all that you're trying to do in in the world, and that we might be partners with one another. God, would you do this by your spirit? We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. So this is what what many of your Bibles, or if you look at commentaries, would be called the prologue. This is kind of the the beginning of the story. And I appreciate John because in in some books, you don't necessarily get a roadmap to where he's going. But but John is giving us a roadmap. He's giving us an explanation of what he wants to accomplish in this letter. Now, he's going to build on it, and we're going to see some other things as as we continue. But he gives us really um, the what of what he's writing and the why of what he's writing. The first two verses really gives a, give us a picture of the what of what he's writing, talking about this word of life. And then verses three and four give us, at least in part, the why, the purpose, the reason, the goal of his writing. John has a purpose in, in, in writing to us, and it's not just to inform us. He wants to change and transform us and invite us into uh, this partnership, this fellowship that he calls us to. He starts with the what if you look at verses 1 and 2 with me, this idea of the word of life. That which was from the beginning, 
which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which our eyes have looked upon and, are, and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life. And then he inter- interrupts himself. Now this, I will admit, is a difficult little section. It doesn't read well. And if you've got a, a different version of the Bible, maybe the NLT or the message, they will try to massage this text to make it more clear. And that's fine. But what we see John doing here is he's putting up first and foremost, he's, he's fronting this idea of that which was from the beginning, which they've heard. Decide what, he's creating some anticipation in his writing. You see, the reason that he writes this way and the reason why I'm reading out of a, uh, what we'd call a, a somewhat literal translation or a translation that, that tries to keep things like word order is that we want to recognize that John had a purpose in the way he was doing this. He was writing this so we, we would not focus on him as the one who's proclaiming, but on what? The thing that he's proclaiming. That which was from the beginning, which he's heard, which he's seen, which his hands have touched. And so we begin to ask ourselves as we read, what is he talking about? And that's exactly what he's trying to draw out from us, this question. What is he talking about? And he starts with that which was from the beginning. And John is nothing if he's not consistent. That which is from the beginning. And that is an echo of his gospel. Now, the book, First John, was written after, probably several years after John, the, apostle, or the, the, the gospel of John. And in the, the gospel of John, he gives this account of the, the ministry of Jesus Christ. And so he says here, as he's writing to these congregations who are beginning to step away from the gospel that he has proclaimed, hey guys, that which was from the beginning, don't you remember? And if we go to John chapter 1, you don't have to go there now, but I would encourage you to read that. Reread it. In John chapter 1, he talks about that which was from the beginning. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. We're going to hear a lot about life and light in First John as well. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. And then he goes on, and he says in verse 14, And the word, the same word that we saw in verse 1, the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory. So in 1 John, we see him referring back in the beginning. The word of life that I'm speaking of, this message about the gospel of Jesus Christ, is the same message that was in the beginning. The same one that talked about in John chapter 1. And and if we keep pushing this further, who is he talking about in John chapter 1 except God himself, who was what in Genesis 1? In the beginning. So let's push it even further. Let's go back to Genesis 1. In Genesis 1, it says this, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And Moses gives us an account of creation. And in the beginning, before anything is created, who is there God. And then in, in the gospel of John, we see that in the beginning, who is there? Jesus. And in 1 John, we see that who is in the beginning? The word of life. We can't forget that Jesus was there in the beginning. What John is telling us is that Jesus is God. He's reminding us yet again that Jesus is God. Jesus matters, I'm sorry, John, 1 John matters to us because Jesus existed in the beginning. You know, do you want to know what your purpose is? 
Do you want to know what you ought to do in your life? Do you want to consider how you ought to live your life? Then you need to consult the author of your life, the one who was from the beginning. And in in the book of John, as I just read, he says that everything that was created was created through Jesus. Everything that was created was created through Jesus. You know, my kids, they love to build things and and they, they love to create things. And we've got these Lego pieces and, and these big, actually, like car models. And they have working pistons and, you know, they're Technics. I don't know if you're at all familiar with that, but if you are, you know what I'm talking about. If not, that's okay. Um, and, and they use the directions in order to build the car. Now, they could possibly build something like it, but it really helps to have the directions which were provided by, what, the creator of the Lego car. And now you can live your life and try to kind of figure it out and cobble it together, but it would be much better if you listened to the creator of your life. You know, sometimes we find ourselves in difficult situations and circumstances, and, and we wonder, how did I get here? It's because you're trying to build the Lego car without the instructions. And, and at times it seems to go, but then you realize, oh, you know, sometimes when I accelerate too fast, it flips over. He is the one who is in the beginning. He is divine. Again, the, the other part of this family is that John is telling us that Jesus is not just some good guy. You know, there are many, many faiths that believe that Jesus existed. Islam, Judaism, there are other faiths that would, other people who would say, yeah, I believe that Jesus existed, that he was a man, he was a Palestinian guy, sure. But, but John doesn't let us sit there. He doesn't let us just stay with that, that idea that, okay, he's just a guy. He is not just a guy. I'm just a guy. If I tell you this is how you should live your life, you can take it or leave it. And you know what's going to happen? Nothing. It may be good advice. It may be bad advice. We'll both find out, won't we? But when God says something to you, when the author says something to you, when the one who holds authority over your life says something to you, then it carries different weight. And and when people say, well, he's a great teacher, what they're trying to say is, I don't want to listen to the idea that he has authority over my life. And that's a problem we all have, is that we struggle to submit ourselves to the authority of Jesus Christ. He was the one who was in the beginning. But not only is he the one who was in the beginning, he's the one whom John witnessed. In verse 1 it says, It's that which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which uh, we've looked upon and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life. He, he was with the disciples when Jesus popped up. You know, last week we talked about the road to Emmaus. And, and we had this resurrection experience, or this conversation about this resurrection experience. And one of the accounts of the resurrection had Jesus appearing where the disciples were. And they, they actually looked at his scars. They saw his side. They, they touched his hands and saw the, the physical reality of his existence. In another place, Jesus, Jesus is on the shore and, and Peter is is in a boat and they see him and he's, he's cooking and, and he, he tells them to come. And Peter goes and, and has a conversation with him. This is actually in the Gospel of John. 
And Jesus is eating food. Spirits don't eat food. Not that I know of. I've never seen Casper the Friendly Ghost eat food. Usually when we have jokes like that, the food goes in and then drops on the floor because they don't. But Jesus had a physical body. He had seen him. He had touched him. He saw his resurrection body. And beyond that, John had seen him because he existed as a person in history. Again, against these claims that that Jesus never existed or he wasn't a a reality, we have testimony upon testimony upon testimony. And and if you don't have a religious bent in the discussion, then you will willingly take the testimonies of the Bible as, as legitimate testimony. Do you understand what I'm saying? There are people who would try to dismiss the Bible, but you can't dismiss the Bible just because you don't believe in miracles. You at least have to take the people on there. You don't have to believe the way they believe, but at the very least, you have to take that they believed it to be true. He certainly saw and heard and had touched Jesus. This was not a subjective, personal, spiritual conviction. This was an objective reality. If God enters into our history and into our reality, we have a responsibility to respond. You know, I, was, uh, I, I went to the Sears Tower. I think it's, it's called something else now. Um, but it's a really tall tower. At one point, it was one of the tallest buildings in the world. It's pretty tall. It's the kind of place that you go and you look at it and you look up and you get dizzy. For me, I'm, I'm not a friend to heights. So my hands, I'm talking about it right now. My hands are sweating. I mean, that's how much I prefer the ground. And I don't have wings, so I feel like that's legitimate. So if you think that that's silly, the, the burden of proof is on you. But I, I remember going to Sears Tower and looking up, and, and, and you, you could go into the town, to the city, and, and at one point you could maybe ask, you know, where's the Sears Tower? But when you get into the city, there's no ignoring, oh, there, there's the Sears Tower. There it is. Um, and there's no ignoring it. There's no pretending that it doesn't exist. You can go through it. You can go up to the top floor. You can go around it. But you can't pretend like it doesn't exist. And in fact, anyone who does pretend like it doesn't exist is going to come off as what? Crazy. Delusional. Because it does exist. This is the word of life that, that John witnessed to. It does exist. And if God enters into our history, into our reality, we have a responsibility to, to respond to it. Family, don't ignore Jesus. And now many of you would say, I'm at church. I'm not ignoring Jesus. I'm not ignoring Jesus. But on Monday, on Tuesday, when you're having that conversation with the coworker and you have some thoughts, and by thoughts I mean angry, emotional responses that you want to give to this employee or this coworker who is getting on your last nerves. In that moment, Jesus is in the room and the question is, are you going to act like he doesn't exist or like he does exist? Kids, your parents told you to do something this week. And God has told you in the word, children obey your parents in the Lord. And when you step into your room and you see the mess that it is, you remember the words of your parents to clean your room You have an opportunity in that moment to either act like Jesus does exist or like he doesn't exist. College kids, 
You are on your own, doing your own thing, living without accountability. And you're on campus at Nova or at at GMU or or wherever you are, and there are moments where you have an opportunity, you step into a, a community or a scenario, and you can act like everyone else there who's acting like there is no God and that Jesus doesn't exist, that the Sears Tower is not there. And the question in that moment is, are you going to act like the Sears Tower is there, like God does exist, like Jesus does exist, or like he doesn't exist? Jesus does exist. He continues to talk about the what, the one who is in the beginning, beginning, the the one whom whom he testifies to. And then he goes on to say, this life, concerning the word of life, verse 2, the life was made manifest. In other words, it was revealed to us. And we have seen it and testify to it and proclaim to you what? The eternal life, which was with the Father. And again, what, what, which was made manifest to us. In other words, he, he interrupts himself to say, you know, uh, we, we want to testify to the word of life. And what I mean is, The life that was revealed to us, by whom? By God. And we've seen it, we've testified to it, and we we proclaim to you not only this life, but this eternal life, this life that exists forever, that existed before creation, that exists after everything is done, which was with the Father. And again, that is another key point. This is not just some sort of like spiritual amalgamous, you know, squishy idea, eternal life, you know, just tap into the greater reality. No, he's talking about Jesus because Jesus is the one who is with the Father. Again, 1 John, all the people who are listening would have been familiar with John, most likely. They would have been thinking, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And then dot, 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 verse 14 the word become flat, became flesh and dwelt among us. The word is Jesus. Jesus was with God. Jesus is God. He's the eternal one. Not just the life, not just a person, but the source, the source of life, the source of sustaining life. This, word, this phrase, word of life, you could almost, you could, well, the, the translators aren't being lazy, but, but they're basically putting it in front of us and saying, you decide. Because word, and then plus what's called of life, it's this agenda form. It, it, it could have a number of different meanings. But if you were to kind of pull out what I think John is trying to say, The word, which is the source of life, the gospel message, which is the source of life. And and what I mean, he goes on to say, is this life, which is Jesus, Jesus is the life. This is why Paul talks about how I have died and and I no longer live, but, but Christ lives in me. Jesus is my life. He says, this life was made manifest. It was revealed to us and we've seen it and testified to it and proclaimed to you the eternal life. And it's the eternal life that was with the Father. Jesus was with the Father, and he reveals the Father. In John chapter 14, it says that uh, Jesus is talking to his disciples, and, and he says, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. It says this, have I been with you so long, and you still don't know me, Philip? You know, Philip is saying, show me the Father. Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. 
When we look at the life and ministry of Jesus Christ, part of the intention on, God, on, on Christ's part was to reveal the character and nature of God the Father. When we, when we consider the word of life, one of the reasons that we, we embrace it is because it reveals to us who God is. This is the word of life that John testifies about. Now, the question that may still be rolling around in your head, and that's fine, is why do I care? That's great. Word of life, big religious words, concepts, it's fantastic. But what does it have to do with me? He said in verse 3, that which we have seen and heard, he, he goes from interrupting himself, talking about the life and the eternal life, and he says, you know what? Back to what I was talking to. That which you've seen and heard, we proclaim also to you. What? So that you may have fellowship with us. See, John is a pastor, and he's looking out at his congregation, and he recognizes that, that there are dangers in his congregation. Not just physical dangers, but dangers of people forgetting the good news about Jesus Christ and walking away. And in fact, some of the people have walked away. They've, they've given up on this idea that Jesus came in physical form, that he died on the cross and he rose again. They've given up on it, and he is, he's worried He's, he's jealous for his children. He's going to go on and talk about his little children. Parents, when you think about your little people, or maybe you're not so little people, and you think about the potential of someone trying to trick them into bad things, something rises up inside of you and you think to yourself, no, I'm going to do something about that. That's, that's an appropriate pastoral parental response. And so here we see him saying, I'm telling you these things. I'm proclaiming to you once again, the good news that I proclaimed again. I'm coming to you and repeating myself again, because I want you to have fellowship with me. And this is not, you know, a potluck after, after church on Sunday. This is not fellowship like, come over to my house and and we'll eat. Maybe that's the beginnings of fellowship. But, but this word has to do with a shared solidarity, a shared commitment, a willingness to sacrifice on behalf of someone else with whom you're living life. He's saying, I'm giving my life to you. I want you to have fellowship with me. And he goes on and he says, and indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. Not only do I want you to have fellowship with me, I want you to have fellowship with God the Father and Jesus Christ his Son. Now, this is an interesting way of talking about the gospel, because in our everyday conversation, and if you, if you hear it talked about, really, in, in the U.S., salvation, the gospel is a very individualistic experience. Trust in the Lord, believe in him, and you'll be saved, period. But he's saying, if you, if you don't walk away from this, if you hear this testimony, in other words, if you believe the gospel, he doesn't just say you'll be saved, but he says you will have what? Fellowship with the Son, fellowship with the Father, fellowship with other believers who have accepted this apostolic t testimony. Family, you can't separate se salvation from participation in the church body. You can't separate your personal salvation and avoidance of hell from being knit into a body and committed to that body of people. No matter how much your neighbor needs to put on deodorant, no matter how much 
your, your, your small group person annoys you. No matter how much you feel like I'm an introvert and I have the right to not interact with people. I love you. He's saying, I want you to have felt. This isn't something, it's not an add-on. It's not a bonus. For, for John, fellowship is salvation. Now, it doesn't mean that you attend church and that's how you get saved. It means that you understand your salvation with God as an expression that, that, that expresses itself through love for your brothers and sisters. And he's going to go on and say, if you say that you love God, but you hate your neighbor, you're mistaken. If you hate your brother, you're mistaken. This is why we can't just attend church. This is why we talk about small groups. This is why we inconvenience ourselves every week or every other week to go see people that maybe under other circumstances we might not spend time with. I'm very different from many of you. I, I, in, in there, on other circumstances, we might not hang out. You know, I'm not a big football guy. But I started working for the church who's senior pastor is the, the chaplain to the Redskins, many of whom attend the church. And, and so I remember being a youth pastor and having some of the children of Redskins players coming and then, you know, oh, good. To, yeah, your, your kid's doing great. I don't know who you are. I see that you're large. Maybe you're a linebacker. I don't know. I barely know what a linebacker is. But here we are in fellowship because... He believes in God. He believes in Jesus Christ. I believe in Jesus Christ. And that has knit us together. I'm so, I'm so proud of the college kids who are here because what you've done is you've taken your opportunities to do other things and said, I'm gonna knit myself into a body. I'm so thankful to the kids who are here, kids, because your parents are saying, we're gonna knit ourselves into a body when I frankly would rather be at home and have you eating cereal and watching a show so I could sleep before Monday. I'm so thankful that you are here. And for those of you who are along, online, I'm so thankful that you're listening and you're participating rather than watching YouTube clips of, of, of babies laughing or, or cats doing stupid things. I'm so thankful because that is an expression of the life of God in us. Life in the body of Christ is fellowship, sharing, giving, taking, sacrificing, putting other people before you, before your desires, your plans, your schedule, your interests. In Northern Virginia, I think one of the greatest marks of fellowship is your willingness to show up. I think people will write checks all day long. This area is relatively affluent, and maybe not all of you are affluent, so don't, please don't take offense at that statement, but, but people will write checks and I'm thankful for that. <laughs> we need checks to be written. But, but for me, and I, I would assume probably for you, a question of real, real engagement is whether or not you're going to show up for this or that meeting. And, and speaking to you as a pastor and not an organizational leader who needs you to come to a meeting, I want to say pastorally, if you... Don't make the time and effort and sacrifice to participate in Sunday mornings, to participate in small groups. I, I want to challenge you that, that it may be an indication of your spiritual health. And I say that lovingly. 
I don't say that to condemn. I say that to challenge. And I recognize, hey, we have been in a ridiculously crazy season of life. So I'm not saying go out and do crazy things or, or be foolish or, you know, 2020, everyone should have been hanging out. That's not what I'm saying. But I'm saying there are things that God allows us to do that he calls us to do, whether it's meeting virtually on a, on a Tuesday night, whether it's calling someone and just saying, hey, how are you doing? Whether it's, it's bringing someone a meal or sending them a, a DoorDash gift card, as it were, at this point. But there are ways that God is, has put in your life opportunities to sacrifice for the sake of others as an expression of the fellowship that you have with Jesus Christ. One of the reasons that he writes this is just to call us into that fellowship. And then finally, he says this, and we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. You know, I, I, and I know that John is long gone to glory, but I think the heart here is such a pastoral heart that God has for us. It, it brings him joy to see his children play with one another. You know, I, I have three kids, and, and it's so cool. We have these, you know, my kids are great, and I love them very much. And, and there are certain moments where this kind of glorious synergy happens, and everything in the house gets quiet, and I find them just kind of like playing with one another. Not fighting, not arguing, but just giving and taking, and yeah, that's cool. Yeah, we'll do this, or, you know, creating making a play, building a thing. And, and I think that that is a picture of, of what, what John was hoping for. He was looking at this congregation and saying, man, I know that there's some people who are challenging your faith, who are saying some things that, that sound like an easy way out. But would you make my joy complete? Would you hear this testimony? And would you guys play with one another? Would you guys live in fellowship with one another? It brings God joy. And, and the cool thing about that moment is my kids are pretty happy too. And when we participate in this life, when we participate in, in the fellowship that is as a result of our shared commitment to Jesus Christ, it's not, it's not out of convenience. It's not because you like the Redskins and I like the, well, the Washington football team and I like the Washington football team. Those, those things are fine. But, but the commitment that we have toward one another is not based on commonality. I mean, look around. I mean, we have older people, younger people, white people, black people, Asian people, Hispanic people. I mean, this is a really neat collection of people who are connected not by our shared interest in, uh, in knitting. And, and it's, it's an awesome thing. And it's a thing to be cherished it's a thing to be appreciated, and it's a thing to be protected. And, and that's what John is doing, and that's my hope for us. And so as we progress through this book, I would encourage you, I would ask you to when hear his testimony, hear what he has to say about who Jesus is, how he really is a historical person who really rose again, who is seated at the right hand of the Father, who is reigning and ruling right now. And allow that reality to inform how you and I will react and interact with one another. That we might be able to really love one another and carry each other's burdens. And when we don't do that, we would be willing to forgive. That we'd be willing to say, I love you no matter what. I appreciate you. 
that we would consider the, the burdens of our, our fellow brothers and sisters in Christ and we would try to carry them. That, that's, that's what he's trying to do here. He's trying to create a people who reflect the kind of com- community life that God the Father and God the Son have. And that is, that's radical. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you for John. I thank you that you appointed and anointed this man to give us this testimony, to remind us yet again of the one who was in the beginning, the one through whom all things were made and without which nothing would have been made, the one who is the eternal life, the one who is the source of life. God, I thank you that we have his testimony. And I pray that we would embrace it, that we would take it into our lives and that we would live as though Jesus is the reality that he is, that we would not ignore him on Monday, that we would not ignore him in our finances, that we would not ignore him in our relational um, struggles, that we would not ignore him in deciding how we're going to spend our time, energy, and resources. The first step in this family is to hear that Jesus Christ lives, that though you and I are lawbreakers in God's country, that we are sinners and that we deserve a punishment, still God loves us and he sent his son to live a perfect life that you and I should have lived, die the death that that we all deserve and rise again, defeating Satan's sin and death and offering eternal life, offering this life, this fellowship to us. If you want to participate in the fellowship with God himself, I just want you to raise your hand. Once you put your hand up, you can put it back down. It's great. And I just want you to pray this prayer. There's nothing magical about the prayer, but it's a, it's a reflection of what your heart's doing. Pray this, God, I, I turn away from everything I know to be sin. I turn away from the lifestyle of living as though you are not real. And I want to acknowledge the reality of you as my Lord and Savior. Thank you for the salvation that you offer. And I pray that you would help me to live in fellowship with you and in fellowship with my brothers and sisters in Christ. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Love you, family.